0: Thank you guys for uh, tuning in this week. It's going to be a little bit different than it normally is. As you know, this is uh, a podcast full of a lot of high energy and it's very jovial, very light. Um, Usually tons of laughs and stuff, but we're not not really laughing a lot right now. And so we just want to make sure that everybody... Understands this is going to be very heavy for a lot of people for a lot of people that don't know these things we hope that you are able to listen and Use this to hopefully educate yourselves on someone else's life experiences that you may not have the you may not have the same ones So I am Xavier Woods and we have multiple people here on the panel. So please uh, Kof I'm Kofi Kingston I am Biggie and we have a fantastic fourth member on the panel here today, and I will allow him the opportunity to introduce himself and explain uh, his qualifications.
1: Thanks. Uh, name's Andreas Hale. I'm currently the senior editor of combat sports at Sporting News and The Zone. Prior to this, I worked at BET, I was a senior editor at Hip Hop DX, a hip hop site I've written for Billboard, the Grammys. Uh, I have a background in activism. I used to be the chairman of the Las Vegas local organizing committee of the National Hip Hop Political Convention. So yeah, I think that covers it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this obviously is about everything that's going on today in in the world. All of the current events, people people upset. We people are are scared uh, and. Uh, all of us have, have you know, we've spoken about things on Twitter and you know told a little bit of our stories and how all this makes us feel how, how Being black in America makes us feel the things that we have to deal with that Not everyone has to deal with the conversations that we have to have in our homes and the information we have to get from our parents and to pass on to our kids and It's it, it's a lot and and honestly, I'm not really sure where to start um, <laughs> with all yeah. this but uh, we just, we want to let you guys know what we're feeling because just cause we are in the position that we're in that we're a uh, part of WWE, that we're on television, that we've got a little bit of a following that does not mean that we don't feel these same exact things. And so we just want to make sure people know that there's a lot of pain that people are going through and we want people to listen to it. I, I think for me, one of the first things that came to, to my mind
2: is that when I saw George Floyd on the ground be murdered. I see myself in George Floyd. I when I hear Breonna Taylor's story, I I see myself, I see my sisters, I see my aunts. I, I see us like that could have been us, man. That could have been us. And uh and it's something I can't think of anything that's hit me like this. Uh anything that's really just, I been, haven't been able to, to get this out of my mind. Um, and uh, it's really weighed heavy on me. I've, I think it's been a hard few months for so many of us. And when Shad passed, when Hana Kimura uh, passed, I kept thinking, I kept imagining myself in the water. And for some reason, I just couldn't, I just kept putting myself in Shad's position and not knowing, I don't know if he knew his son got to safety. I don't know what his last thoughts were when he died. What, like what Hannah, like the, the stuff that was going through her mind when she took her life, like I, and I just keep thinking, that I put myself in George Floyd's position when I, when I saw him be murdered like that. And, and to have a man put his knee on his, on his neck like that, man. And I don't know how you don't feel empathy for a man like that who's accused of of passing a counterfeit twenty dollar bill, man. He didn't deserve to die like that. And we we cannot be okay with murdering us. You just can't be okay with it because it's not the first time, and it's not the second time. And we've seen it. And like I said, man, we we've. I've I've seen and heard these stories from my parents and their parents and their parents before them. And I cannot accept living in a country where this is acceptable, where it takes two days to get an arrest for this man. Two days to, there was videotape, there was clear as day. Ha, that, that bothers me, that hurts me to my, very core to my soul, that this is what it took of two days of anger and frustration, and people saying that this has to be enough. This, I, I, how how long can we allow this to happen? Just imagine a man having his his body weight, his knee on your neck until you die. Until and you're calling for your mom, man. He had he had no one what was he supposed to do, you know? So that I just, I can't stop with, with so many of these people that we're losing. I can't stop imagining myself in their shoes, in that position of, you know, this this man had a daughter, you know, he had people who loved him. He had people who who cared about him. Same thing with Ahmaud Arbery, like we, You know, we just can't keep, we can't just shrug our, how long are we supposed to shrug our shoulders and say, damn, and move on about our day? So it's something that really, it hit me in my chest. It kept hitting me in my chest, and it kept weighing on me. And I just feel like, you know, we were supposed to have a conversation. We're supposed to do some other things today, but, uh, you know, I'll say I'm really proud of, of YouTube brothers, I'm proud of y'all, the way y'all handle yourselves, the way y'all see the world, the way y'all see everything, because we all got on the same page with saying this, we gotta uh, you know, put, it, put those things on the back burner because this is something, man. And I don't even, I don't know if it's meant to change hearts or to preach, I don't know what it is, but maybe I just need this for me. Maybe I just need to have a conversation for me to not just bottle it up or send some tweets, but to actually just to talk, to have, th- to have a conversation. Maybe this is just for me, maybe it's for no one else. Maybe it's for me, but it's it's weighed heavy on me, man. It's just weighed real heavy on me. So that's, that's kind of what's just been in my mind this last week and change.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, it, like E, you, you hit the nail on the head and I think uh, that's the scariest thing about all of these situations is that it could very well have been any of us seeing the video uh, of Ahmad Aubrey, like he was just going for a run in his neighborhood. I've recently just started running around in my neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? And to be trying to, you're doing something that where you're trying to become healthier, you're trying to better yourself. And here comes a car full of people and they just murder you in the street. The fact that every time I go out by myself, or i go out with my family in the back of my mind there's always a thought of man what if am i going to be next is what if somebody pulls over and decides to to harm me in some way what am i going to do it's almost like you know i'll leave the house and have almost like a like a, like a plan of action you know in the event that something might happen and and We shouldn't have to live like that. No one should have to live like that, constantly looking over their shoulder in fear or or worry that harm may come, you know, but the reality of the world that we live in today is that it is possible. And the fact that we've seen these images, it hits, but it's almost on a level of like, gosh, I can't, like you, you, it, it doesn't seem real, but today in this day and age, seeing the videos that are going around on Twitter of George Floyd, of Ahmaud Arbery, of so many people, it's it makes it very real to our generation. And it's scary, especially when you have kids. I, I saw uh, someone had a post, uh, Us had a post, Jay, and um, he was condemning all of this and somebody had written like, oh, well, just make sure you raise your kids right and they shouldn't have to worry. In theory, that should be the case, but that has nothing to do with anything. You could be the best person in the world. You could, you know, be the, 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 the best scholar, you know, or the, the 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 best businessman just at the top of your class and whatever it is that you do. And the fact that you look a certain way will trigger somebody to pull up on you in a van with guns. You know, it's just, it's unconscionable, but it is the real it, it is a reality and it's crazy to to say that, you know. So um I think I think we're all in the same boat here and I think it's very refreshing in a sense to see that so many people who are not African American coming to you know coming to the aid and 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 really wanting to know what they can do white america wants to know what they can do you know because I feel like these images specifically like watching this Seeing the this with your own eyes and knowing that it's real and that it's actually happening and it's not hearsay, it's not you know a story that you heard from somebody else. This is actually happening. You are seeing it. It is being ingrained in your body, in your mind. You are witnessing what is happening. Seeing that makes it very real, and it's not just for us. You know, it's for anybody you know who, who witnesses it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've 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 gotten a lot of texts and a lot of messages from specifically uh my white friends who just want to know like what they can do and i feel like this situation is just hitting a little bit differently i feel like we're hopefully on the cusp of something turning around because we're not the only ones who have had enough you know so it feel it feels good to have white america you know listening you know what i'm saying as opposed to talking about the semantics of Kaepernick protesting and, and talking about it being about the flag and and you know what I'm saying? And, and he's specifically saying like, no, we're talking about police brutality and we want to bring attention to this issue. This is why I'm doing this. And people still want to talk about other stuff as opposed to the issue that's going on. So I feel like right now, at least more so uh, than in the past, you have a lot of people who are, supportive over overly supportive and and really reaching out and um wanting to do something before I, I let andreas speak his mind too i wanted to
2: just add to go back a little bit and just add that uh the reason i wanted uh we talked and the reason i thought andreas was was the perfect person to have this is not only his qualifications but i've known uh andreas has been a friend to me for, for years and uh he understands us too. So I don't want to just bring in um, an expert or someone from the outside, but he he's covered uh, Kofi mania. He, he he's a huge wrestling fan, not just that, but he knows us and he understands us. So I just wanted to preface it by saying like, we're not just bringing in uh, you know, an activist or who's an expert, but he's a friend and I've had so many of these conversations daily with Andreas and he's really guided me with how I can help others or even just having an ear to listen to. Um, So I, you know, I just wanted to have that conversation with, with someone who's been a friend of me for the last several years, but also who's really guided me during this time too. So um, I, I get, once again, Andreas, thank you for being here and for being a part of this, man.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, Kofi, I want to pick up on something that you said. For years, we've had a lot of people tell us, like, if you just raise your kids right, everything will be okay. And um, the other day I saw on Twitter, there was a uh, Nickelodeon had the, uh, the eight minutes break and some woman... White woman was upset, asking why is Nickelodeon taking my kids' innocence away? Our innocence wasn't taken away by Nickelodeon or by choice. When we were first introduced to why we were being treated differently, it was by somebody else. Because you know, we grew up wanting to love everybody. We didn't know we were different. I know in my case, you know, I was raised by a, a old Italian white woman. You know, that was my grandmother, and uh, she tried to keep me away and wanted me to be the, the good black kid. One day in third grade, I was in, you know, out on the playground and a kid was singing a song in 1964. My dad went to the war, pulled the trigger and shot an N-word. And that was the end of the war. And he pointed at me. He was like, you're the N-word. I couldn't figure out what that meant. And I had to ask. I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's laughing at me. He was like, my dad shot you. You You deserve to die. We don't like black people taking it back. I went home and I asked my grandmother. I was like, well, what, what's wrong with me? She was like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, no, there's something wrong. If somebody's identifying a difference, you know, this early in my life, this took away my innocence and, and guided me on this crusade because there's nothing wrong with us. You know, nobody, we didn't wake up mad. You know, Rodney King was in the first situation where black people were upset about racism and police brutality. This has been happening for years, but our innocence was taken away at such an early portion of our lives where we had to acknowledge that we were different, not because of us, because of how somebody else perceived us. So when we have kids, you know, I have a three-year-old daughter and I have a 14-year-old nephew and nine-year-old niece, and they don't know anything about this until somebody tells them that they are different. And once they realize that they are different, now they're confused. And that's where the anger and frustration comes from. So I think this... George Floyd's situation is years of pent up frustration for us, seeing nothing happening to the people that are treating us differently just because of the color of our skin. Because we didn't ask for this. I never woke up and said, you know what? I'm black and I'm mad. I don't think any of us ever did that. I think somebody else has told us you're different because of the color of your skin and not because of who you are. And I know people have been misconstruing Martin Luther King quotes. They've been misconstruing what Kaepernick, like the flag. No, man, it's like we don't want to be treated any differently. But I do want to say the one thing I want people to stop saying is that I'm colorblind. I do want you to see our cultural differences and acknowledge them and respect them. But I don't want you to treat me any differently. So I think when we look at this situation, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, and I'm sure all of us have looked at our Twitter thread and saw somebody try to All Lives Matter us. And it's like, yeah, but that house isn't on fire right now. Mm -hmm. all of these houses matter indeed i agree that house is on fire Mm -hmm. and we got to put that one out and this has just become disproportionate of black men being killed on camera like rodney king just got beat up on camera which is crazy to say he just got beat up yeah i've been watching people getting killed dying murdered and no consequences or repercussions so yeah we're fed up so i guess you know I, i appreciate being here but it's like talking to you gentlemen it's like what do we do next? And that's I think what we gotta guide ourselves through is like how do we handle these situations moving forward so they don't continue to happen. Right.
0: Exactly. I think one one thing that's that's so so telling is that you've seen people protesting all over the world. And like Kofi said, you know, I've had a bunch of friends, a lot of them white, just reach out and, you know, how are you doing? How can I help? Um, but then there's like also an interesting thing to it where I have people that are, that are white, that I knew 10, 15 years ago, but we haven't spoken, nothing bad happened, but like people you don't talk to. So it it feels weird to have people reach out with a, Hey, I'm feeling bad. How are you? And it's like, I don't, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, we're, we're all carrying this. We have been carrying this since we were kids, but I feel like as much as I I do love the compassion, I want people to listen and I want them to learn. There are some times where I, I myself don't know what to do. So I'm trying to also educate myself. I don't want to now have to also educate everyone else. Like we've already said these things, we've explained these things, but now that, you know, coronavirus is a thing and the world stopped and now the world sees it and now they protest. It's like, yes, this doesn't feel different to me. It feels the same as it happens every single time, but people aren't listening at those times. But now since they have to stop, they have to slow down, they have to watch the news, they have to know what's going on. Now they see it and it's almost like, I'm hearing so many things about people saying like, I, I had no idea, I had no idea. Like, I, I love the compassion, but I don't understand how you didn't know. Like, people have, have been telling you, people have been telling everyone. And it's, I, I was doing something with a friend and he said something that was very, very, uh, I thought it was real strong. He said, you know, I'm happy for all this. It's better late than never, but never late is better. And, it, It hurts because, like you said, Kof, talking about having kids, before when we have this fight and we learn about this fight and we have these talks in our home, Black families are independently having these talks with their children about how they have to be aware and be cautious and how they can't wear certain clothes, about how you can't wear black hoodies with the hood up because someone might think that you're trying to steal something. You can't walk around in this area and have this color skin because people will think that you're going to steal their purses or, or jump into their cars. There wasn't a meeting where someone told all black families, hey, we have to make sure we talk to our kids about this and this and this. That's happening independently in all black homes across America. And so for people to come out and say, oh, there can't be a problem. Look at these numbers. Look at these numbers. There's no problem. If there wasn't a problem, people wouldn't be doing this independent of themselves. And the the issue that I have is I don't know how to change the conversation that's happening in other homes to make it so that we have to have these survival conversations in ours. And we we talked a little bit about, yeah, we, we try to use our, our voice for, for good and try to make sure people know uh, how how we feel about certain things. Cause it, people might be feeling the same way and it might help them. And so I feel bad because I feel like a lot of times we do know what to do. We do know what to say, but something like this, like this is, this is life or death and it's been life or death. And I don't know how to, how to fix that. Like, what do we, what are we supposed to do with that? You know?
3: Yeah. I'll say too. I mean, you, you know, we had, um, I think both of you guys had mentioned the numbers, right. And, uh, A lot of times, the argument that people will bring to the table is like, "Well, you know, uh, there's uh, white people being killed too, but it's just not being seen." Or, "This is the actual numbers, and these are the statistics because white people are being killed in the same, you know, uh, in the same amount, or or, or even more so than black people." And giving me like these numbers, to me, the numbers don't matter. Like that doesn't make the argument. Like you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make it better. Like if black people are being killed in small quantities and white people were being killed in large quantities, it doesn't make me feel better about the black people that are being killed. You know, none of it should be happening. So to me, like the numbers aren't really like, it doesn't like soften the blow to me, you know, it's, it's something where number one, like what is, what is the purpose in you telling me what the statistics are? Like that's, OK, if more people are dying in a particular race, then like it, it that's wrong, too. I feel bad about that, too, you know, but it doesn't don't don't bring that to me as like an argument or like a debate. Like it's not you know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to like have these like these these debates. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It's just. um It's all it's it's all it's all bad. So let's do what we can to fix it even if it's one step at a time, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're trying to fix what's happening here. Like you said, Andreas, with the, this house is burning right now, let's put out this fire. Maybe there'll be another fire burning somewhere else. We'll all go help and put out that fire, but let's not, don't don't tell me not to put the fire out, you know?
0: And uh, why, yeah. I don't understand why people feel like you can't be upset about more than one thing at a time. Right. Like for for someone to say, black lives matter, then bam, right after all lives matter. You need to make sure all lives matter. Like. If you're worried about all lives, I mean, yes, then just agree. Black lives matter. This is this is the issue. This is that we're worried about. That we're trying to change. So if you're trying to say that oh well, like this is happening over here, okay, we'll be mad about it. Be out here, say something. Stand up with us. If you're if you're upset too and you're hurting too, stand up with us. Don't try to say that you're hurt or th- you're hurt that now has shown itself because we hurt something hurt us and we explained it, said it, and so now you're trying to to, to dissolve ours because you have pain too. No, the pain can come together and that's just unity so that we can do what we can to come together and get stuff changed and get things done.
2: For me, I don't have all the answers, but what I'm asking for at a very minimum is empathy. It it hurt me to see in Buffalo, an elderly man be shoved to the ground. That man was white. He didn't look like me, but it hurt because I could see my grandfather. I could see people that I loved and respected. I could see I might never have crossed this man's path or anyone who looks like him, but I see a man who needs, I see a frail man being shoved to the ground. I hear his head hit the ground. I hear his skull bounce off the concrete and blood ooze out of his ears by police. And and how does that how do you not have the empathy to understand the kind of pain that people are going through? How do you not have empathy to think that that could be you, that you might be young now, but you can be old and frail and you would hope that someone would have enough care in the world to uh, someone that that is vowed to protect and serve you to not treat you as if your life has no meaning. That is I don't have all the I'm not asking for everyone to necessarily be an activist or to run uh, in their local government. But I'm asking you to start with empathy. I'm asking you to understand what we're feeling. I'm asking you when you see a man be murdered on the street like a dog. And I keep thinking like a dog, but I wouldn't even say a dog because there are so many people who don't give a damn about George Floyd dying in the street. But they, if that was a St. Bernard. Being killed, that's a grotesque image. Imagine if that was a dog. Imagine the people who don't care about George Floyd dying, but would be outraged about a cop kneeling on a dog's neck for nearly nine minutes and killing that dog. So I don't even say like a dog. Worse than a dog. Something below that. To see a man be murdered like that, to hear Breonna Taylor. Imagine past midnight, she's in her bed. And a no, there's a, a no-knock warrant. They, they use a battering ram to knock down her door past midnight, she's in bed. For, for a man that was already in custody and she was shot to death in her own bed, in EMT, someone during a pandemic that we were relying on to save lives. I'm asking you to just start with empathy. Just start with empathy. Just imagine that's you. Imagine that's someone you love and imagine them dying in that way. Imagine them dying unjustly. Start with empathy, start with understanding. And for me, I went on Twitter And sometimes I don't know if Twitter is just uh, just typing things to pat ourselves on the back and feel like mm-hmm. we did something. And I really try to watch that within myself to make sure that I'm not self-righteously just tweeting. But I, I just wonder this just just there's so much that people don't understand and don't know. And I think a lot of times I, I, a lot of people reach out to me. Uh, a lot of my white friends who were who told me they didn't know about the 1921 Black Wall Street Massacre. Start with understanding and learning because these are things that we're, we're not taught. I went to a prep school for six years. I took AP history and it was a rigorous, rigorous, I paid attention, I loved it, but we didn't learn about these things. Learn about the 1921 Black Wall Street Massacre. Learn about the 1985 bombing of a Philadelphia neighborhood. They bombed their own. Of a black, black kids died from a bombing by the police, start to learn and empathize. If you if you really don't understand, please learn. Please look. Please learn something. And I and I'm grateful for the people who didn't get it but reached out to me and and wanted to understand and wanted to learn. But I I struggle. I really struggle to to know what I can do, to know what what I can solve. But all at the very minimum, it begins with empathy to understand that could be any one of us. Start with empathy, please. I think um,
1: I want to pull it back a little bit because, yeah, I talk to you about this a lot because I don't think you and you guys realize how significant Kofi you went in the title was at WrestleMania, and I want to pull this back a little bit because we cried. There was a lot of visceral tears that night because for years, our stories have never mattered in pro wrestling. For years, a lot of people didn't even know who our stories were. Like, my job as a, as a reporter is to tell our stories from our perspective. Um, covering boxing and MMA and pro wrestling, I often see a lot of journalists tell the story of like, he fought his way out of poverty to become the world champion. That's not all of our stories. And there's an inherent fear of African Americans because the stories aren't told properly. And when representation matters, it doesn't just matter to us as black people, it matters to the rest of the world as well. So they can see that Yeah, we're not just bucks and we're not just violent people like we have dimensions. So when I see you brothers on TV having fun and having a good time, it is something totally different than what I grew up with watching pro wrestling. I remember sitting with my grandmother and I saw the Nation of Domination. And this is when I started really becoming well-versed in black history. And I saw Farouk throw up the fist and I was like, yeah. And my grandmother said, boo. And I was so confused. How are you booing black pride? And at that moment, I realized, like, wow, a lot of stories, a lot of people don't understand these stories and who we are. So, the moment that the Kofi Mania thing started happening, people were getting behind it, and all people were getting behind it, not just because you deserved it, but for once, I saw somebody that looked like me, that acted like me, that knew how to have fun. Like, for years, I've covered Comic Con, Sundance, I've been to E3, I'm a gamer, I'm a nerd. I see that in you guys. And what you guys represent, is the dimensions of black is beautiful. So when you won that title and you, you gentlemen jumped in the ring and your kids win the ring and celebrating, for once I saw us happy, nothing else mattered. And I shed a few tears, my boy shed a few tears, our friend Kaz shed tears. We cried because that was the moment where I felt like we mattered. And then, at the, uh, then I saw the rest of the world saw that we mattered. And when I put together that video, you remember, I I started calling together clips from across the world of people celebrating this victory because it wasn't just black people. We deserve it. Like we deserve these opportunities. We deserve to not be scared. We deserve to not to be portrayed as the bad guy. We deserve this moment. And for the rest of the world to see us, that we're not threatening. Like we're sad, we have tears too. You know, and, and kind of diverting a little bit is like, I started the thread, when I met racism on Twitter, because I wanted people to see that we ha- we are just like you. We hurt. We are in pain as well. So it's, it's when the house is on fire, it's like, guess what? Your house is probably next if you don't put this one out. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to help put out our fire mm-hmm. and everybody else's fire because it's just not fair. It's not fair what's happening. And is I wanted to push the story forward. It's like, well, what can we do? And education is the key because we talk about you know, Black Wall Street, we talk about these situations, but we gotta learn the legal system as well. It's very key for us to get out there and understand what a second degree murder charge is or what a first degree murder charge is, what that entails so we can temper our expectations when these things go to trial. You know, I think it's like a football team. The, the protests of the offensive line, which pushes the conversation forward, but you need a quarterback, you need an offensive coordinator, you need a head coach, you need people who are judges, you need people who are attorneys, law enforcement that looks like us that police our neighborhoods. You need people that tell our stories. I need you guys out there having a good time showing that we're different because the only way that this is going to change is if it changes on multiple fronts because people say, I'm not going to protest. This doesn't change anything. No, it just kind of starts the conversation. So how do we continue that conversation? And when you guys use your platforms to voice your your pain, but E, when you're using your platform throwing things about you know, the civil rights era that people just don't know. I, I was so surprised at how many white people just didn't know our history because it's, it's, it's not really taught in school like that. Like Black Panther, it's a footnote.
0: Yeah, it's confusing because we learn like, what is it in uh, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and found America. And it's like, what? Like <laughs> we're learning that. That didn't, even, that didn't even really happen. But all of this stuff that's part of our actual history and tells us, why society is currently the way that it is, it's all there, but it's not something that gets a spotlight. It's not something that that you get to learn in school. And I just I don't understand why. And so I've uh when I, I hope that there's there's with all of the different ways to document things now, especially in this day and age with with cell phones and with being able to, you know, people have the cloud and they can put memos and I I I hope that when this is done, history Explains it in the way that it actually occurred.
2: Yeah, man. I I think it starts because it's the reason we don't have these conversations is because they're uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't I don't want to be sitting here crying, thinking about a man being murdered, but it's uncomfortable. And I think a lot of times we we want to put this band-aid over these situations and we want to talk about, you know, we we often get these this rhetoric that uh uh stop making it about Ray, stop pulling uh of the race card. Let's talk about race. Let's pull up the rug. Let's have these conversations. Let's continue to have these conversations I think there, you know, there's I found a silver lining in this and we're at over a week later And we're still talking we're still having these conversations and I think we still need to have honest conversations and not uh, Whitewash our history not um, you know I think what we often learn about black history is that we had slavery and we had the civil rights movement and that that's about it You know, there are things that happen in between. Um, Some of us learn about Jim Crow. Some of us learn about Reconstruction. Uh, Some of us, you know, it's interesting to hear, like when Andreas talks about uh, the nation of domination uh, being demonized by some and being booed by some. It's really interesting to me the way the Black Panthers are, are portrayed, because you learn like free breakfast programs are because of the Black Panthers. They did a lot of great work and. And you if you know we don't we're not taught about COINTELPRO. We're not taught about the fact that the FBI tried to destroy these black organizations that were attempting to to aid their community, to provide free breakfast, and, and to have all these programs. We're not taught these things. So, you know, there, there's so many there's so much to black history, to our black experience in America that we don't know. And For me, like Andrea said, I think it really starts with education, with learning more, um, with being empathetic towards these things and and trying to... I I see a lot of the comments that I see and I've seen a lot of positive, but the comments that I see that are negative uh, mostly come from a place of ignorance. You don't understand our history. You don't understand that uh, this is one straw and underneath are a thousand more. Uh, Andrea suggested, uh, let it fall on Netflix, which I watched and it's about the LA riots and Rodney King set off uh, these massive riots in LA, but it wasn't just Rodney King. It was Latasha Harlins being killed and on tape. And the, her murderer does five years probation. You see her being shot clear as day in the back of the head, she's killed. And the woman that murdered her, did five years probation. So it, it's these countless stories. It, it's uh, I think uh, I don't know what the, the final tally was, but at some point, sixteen people, twelve of them black, uh, died because of chokeholds used by the LAPD. It's it's this it's this concurrence of events that keep happening and keep happening, and, and finally that last straw. And and I even it like disgusts me to even think of George Floyd's uh, life like that as just one one little brick on this wall that's being built. But underneath it are so many of these cases of black people being murdered by the police unjustly and the cops are either fired or if they, if we do go, it's so hard to even get them to trial. And if they get them to trial, they're usually acquitted. Uh, and Andrea's kind of just really filled me in on how hard it is to get a conviction in these kinds of cases. Yeah I mean I want to talk about that real quick because
1: like we all were upset when George Zimmerman got off right but what mm-hmm. the conversation we didn't have is how the prosecution failed they overcharged George Zimmerman of second degree murder which means they had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury that he set out to murder that man with no real proof and he was just a civilian like he wasn't even a cop cops have so many so much gray area that we really have to attack like the police handbook, like how do you properly detain somebody? What is an excessive use of force? What does that really mean? And we have to attack those things. So it's like, it is so difficult to, to get a cop, to, to get the charges to stick. It's so hard to get them arrested. Now you bring them to trial, like let's go back to Oscar Grant, Johannes Meserly who shot Oscar Grant in the back on New Year's and he was found guilty. And the judge was like, nah, that's cool. Um, we're just going to give him a couple of years, uh, time served. And he was out in like six months. But we have to understand the legal system and how it works. And we have to understand, like, that's why we have to become attorneys. Like, that's why it's important. Like, I look at my daughter. I'm like, well, you might have to be a judge or you <laughs> might have to be a teacher. Like, I, I got to have you do something else. Like, I, I want to be on the front lines too, but you got to do something different. Like, that's why teachers are so important. I mean, even the police, like, who wants to be a cop in 2020, honestly, because they don't pay enough? Because they don't police our neighborhoods. Like, I feel a lot more comfortable if I had somebody that looked like me police my neighborhood. But we don't have that. There's no interest in being a cop. It's a scary thing. But we, gotta, we have to look at the handbooks and how the, these conversations are being had and educating. Um, and the other thing is, like, uncomfortable conversation. Like, Muhammad Ali's. it's been four years since Muhammad Ali passed. And he's this beloved figure now. But there was a time that Muhammad Ali was like the most hated athlete on the world, in the world to white people. They just didn't like him because, you know, he wouldn't step forward from Vietnam. And he was loud and outspoken and he called his fights. And, but people forget how much he was hated. And now when he became basically, you know, Parkinson's took over and he couldn't talk, then they embraced him and loved him. We're never loved until it's too late. You know, and it's, it's funny now. That's why I think it's important that for you three, it's like, I got to give you your flowers now. And what you're doing because it means the world to me and it means the world to my kids when they see you guys because now they see they're like oh man I don't have to be mad all the time I could have fun and wear colorful stuff and it's cool but we have to like let down our guard to that degree and we have to let everybody else know it's like dog it's time to have these uncomfortable conversations like is the NFL going to apologize to Colin Kaepernick because the brother wasn't wrong
2: I think one of the things uh I know Andres you t- you talked about the thread that you started and one of the things that really uh stuck out to me was when um you pretty much had people describe their first encounter with racism um and so many stories happened at a very early age and one of my big takeaways just kind of going through that thread um which I wouldn't have really thought of initially was the amount of bad experiences racist experiences with teachers. Uh, you know, and teachers are so influential. I was fortunate enough to have so many, I can think of so many great teachers who really inspired me, who encouraged me. But you you heard, and I read so many stories of kids who were either like directly, uh, a teacher directly hurled a racial epithet at them or or they condoned one. They heard it from another student and allowed it. But there are so many avenues. Oftentimes I think of what we can do, but, This needs to be addressed from a legislative standpoint. This needs to be addressed in our classrooms. This needs to be addressed in our homes. This needs to be addressed on so many fronts. And it just really, you know, I don't have kids, but it it truly bothered me to know that so many of these black parents were dropping their kids off at school at, at young ages. I'm talking so many stories of kids who were seven and eight, and they had an encounter with, a teacher who was racist or who condoned racism. And I wonder how many times this happens. Um, and after, we actually had this conversation and, and I forgot about this, but when I was in, in elementary school, we had a program called Gifted and it was for the kids who tested well, who did well, and you got to be put in more accelerated classes. And I, I tested in the, the category to be in Gifted. I should have been it automatic, been in it automatically, a no brainer, but uh, for some reason, the teachers there or whoever uh, was in charge decided that I wasn't going to be in it. And it took my mom coming down to that school and fighting to say, no, my son will be in this program because he deserves it. He's qualified for it. He's hit every benchmark. It made me think, how often does this happen? Where, And who am I to say I can't specifically point to that teacher or that administrator and say, no, you're keeping me out of this program that's going to help further my education because I'm black. There are so many times like this where. Uh, it's it's just this this kind of thinly veiled racism that's that's allowed to happen in schools in in these really influential places and it hurt me to think how often this happens at that level
0: especially as a, as a child because even though we are told these things by our parents as when we're kids we don't we don't understand them we don't really get it we haven't seen it and then even in that in that point. So you said you you hit all your benchmarks, you did everything that you could, but you still weren't in the class. And so for for the people that might say, "Oh, well, you have no proof that this is, you know, has racial motives and things like that." And it's like, well, the way that the way that we're taught is that we do literally everything possible to get where we want to get. And so when we're told we pass with flying colors, we've done, Everything that we could we've we've passed the tests. We learn how to play instruments We learn how to catch a ball and be an athlete We're we can sing we can dance We can do all of these things we've taught ourselves how to do But we still don't get to move forward. So in our minds, there's only one other reason We've covered literally all the bases and so to experience that kind of thing as a child is is It's it beyond painful because it's 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 more it's confusing it's confusing because you, you don't know what's going on. And as you think about it, as you sit and stew and you're upset and like you're, you become in that mindset like you just said, like, if this is happening to me right now as a child, how much is this happening around the world? And when you grow into adulthood, you, you, you realize that it's a constant fight from the day you came out of the womb you were fighting and you didn't have a choice. You simply want to exist and when you're sharing a country with with a where there are a group of people who who may not want you to exist purely because you do, it uh it hurts a lot. I remember when uh so when I was a kid, the first time that somebody threw a racial slur at me, uh, it couldn't have been more than like nine or ten, and my mom had told me, you know, if anybody ever calls you this, you have to tell me, you have to tell me. Um, and to me still not not knowing, but I knew like this is a the N word, this is a this is a word that I will not be called. And so obviously as a child he said it to me. I jumped on him. Our friends like pulled us apart. We both went home and I remember I remember I went and told my mom and she was cooking and she immediately dropped everything that she was doing and she said tell me everything. Come to me and tell me everything. Because she knew that I was hurt. She knew that I was upset. She knew that I didn't understand why this happened. And she walked me over to his house. He lived in the same neighborhood, and um, went to the door. And his mom answered, and she told his mom that our that we'd gotten in a fight, and his mom didn't know why. So we went to their house, and my mom explained why uh, the fight occurred. And um, this was this was very strange for me because it was a day that I learned that people can say things that really, really hurt me that they don't even understand. But then it was also the same day that I learned that sometimes even if someone hurts you, compassion might be uh, an answer, it might be an option. And they, they agreed that for the next seven days, we would walk to school together and we would be together in the same room at all times and uh, maybe like day four, he's playing Mortal Kombat on a Super Nintendo, you know, and then he watches, he's seen me watch him play and he looks at me and he says, hey, do you you wanna play? And after that, we we actually became best friends. And so uh, in that that first 24 hour period, I, I was just, I was so, I was so angry and just hurt. And I didn't understand. Why she was doing this, and I realized that she'd been there before, and and she she reacted, uh, how she reacted, and knew that maybe if she tried this, it would be a little, a little bit easier for me to deal with. And I, and I don't know. I keep saying this. I'm so sorry. I'm just. Like, uh, I, I don't understand how people have the strength to make these decisions for their kids and when to teach them this and how to how to protect them from this. And I'm I'm sorry.
1: Don't apologize, man. Really.
2: Like I said, I'm, I'm the one person here who doesn't have kids, but I know it's something we've texted about. But I can't really even fathom the kind of conversations that the three of y'all are having, or I don't know if you're waiting to have about what's happening in our country right now. But uh, that's that's something that I couldn't imagine doing right now.
3: I think, um, you know, so Woods, you hit on um, a very important word in what you were saying in terms of being confused, that the situation is very confusing. For me, I don't know how I am going to have these conversations with my kids. And then going back to when I grew up, so the town I grew up in was probably about 95% Caucasian. You could probably count the amount of black families in my high school, probably on one hand. And for me, I think I was fortunate enough to not, I, I can't really recall any teachers that made me feel like I was a less, but at times it was very difficult having to deal with my peers every single day. Every single day there was some kind of a racial comment or you know a, a racial joke that was Said to me and and it was supposed to be you know, it was supposed to be a joke, you know To me, it wasn't really funny. Uh, I can remember specifically there was a time where uh, a few of my teammates and I are Kind of sitting around and everybody's just kind of going around making all these black jokes. You know what I'm saying? And um I remember one of them saying, you know going out of his way saying well, you know, I never lost to a black kid so okay another one was saying something about me, basically like the the crux of it was that I was supposed to be essentially ashamed of being black. So the joke (laughs) was that I was in a bathtub full of bleach, crying, asking God why my skin was dark. And I'm in this tub of bleach wishing that it would bleach my skin white, you know? And these are my, uh, you, and, I, and, I, and I liken it back to confusing because these are people that are supposed to be my teammates, my friends. Why are you, why, why are you saying these things to me? You know, there were several situations where, where, where things like that happened and uh, I didn't really have anywhere to go. You know what I'm saying? I didn't really have anyone to, to, to talk to. The term outnumbered is not the right word, but in terms, like I said, of black families, this was the way that things work. And I don't want it to come across as like, this is the way that it was like, it was an incredibly, there are certain schools or or situations where people deal with a lot more, I, I, I guess more like violent and, and heavier racial situations than I dealt with. But um, by the same token, I think there's more of like a, a support system there, you know? So for me, uh, as a father now, I'm always just kind of like just kind of listening to what my kids have to say when they're playing with people, just listening to what those interactions are like to see if they're experiencing any of what I you know what I mean? Like what I experienced so I can kind of guide them in that sense. And it's a very it's just peculiar, you know, it's to, to, you don't you don't want to project your experience on your children, which I'm sure, you know, and I don't want to make assumptions about your situation Woods, but the fact that your mom didn't tell you about any of that until you were nine, you know, uh, and came to her with it, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure she didn't want to do the same thing either, you know, and project all the disgusting situations that she was in, the hurtful situations that she was in and project that onto you as a child who looks at the world and doesn't doesn't know that yet you know i just i I get the sense of wanting to just protect them for as long as i can you know and and try as hard as we can to like to maintain that innocence the other day um we were uh on the beach and an older gentleman came to me and um older white man uh we were in california i guess he was from jersey or something like that but he was just like man this is this is beautiful isn't it just looking at the kids and looking at them all just playing together, all different races and ethnicities on the beach playing together without a care in the world, you know? And uh, we're just sitting there talking about the, the way that they're, they're in this little bubble, you know, they're in this bubble where everything is the way that it's su- supposed to be. You're not supposed to have to worry about somebody being less or, or, or making you feel like you're less because of the color of your skin. You're supposed to be on the beach playing and jumping in the waves and interacting and having fun as kids should do with kids. And the reality of the matter is that just a few miles down the road in Los Angeles, there are riots going on and a lot of hate being spewed and, and obviously across the whole nation. But yeah, I think for again, going back to me and like in, in high school, it's just I don't know how I got to this point, you know, because I look back at it now and uh, it angers me and it angered me then. I never lashed out. I never, I never, I feel like there's a lot of people who, who, who don't know what to do with their aggression because they see all these things happening and then they go out and do so, something that will get them in trouble. But you know, you, you shouldn't go out and do the wrong thing and you get penalized for that. But what about the bigger picture and, and the reasoning behind why people are acting a certain way? You know, I, I just look at myself and I just feel so fortunate that I I, I was able to, to, to to block all of that out, you know, and and get to this point now, but not everybody is in that situation. And again, going back to being a father, I just feel like uh, you know you, you have to be very conscious of that possibility, because all it takes is one incident for somebody who is in the position of protection to take it, you know what I mean to like, I don't know, just to, to harm you based on what you de- what you've done so it's a weird it's it's a very this is my first time as a parent. you know what I'm saying? We know we haven't been parents in the past like lie you know you know just you 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 figure it out as you go, but it's um you just hope or I just hope that I'm doing it right yeah it's it's it, as as children out there, it can be very confusing, and I think we've all been the the victims of that confusion. It's just something else. It's, it's crazy to think about the, the, the reality of the world in which we live.
2: I think the, the thing that we've got kind of all hit
1: on the head here is like, hate is a taught language. None of us are born to hate. Our kids are born to love and we got to stop teaching hate. And the people that have done us wrong or have done our kids wrong, like I looked, my nephew's 14 and I, 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 ask, I ask myself every day is like, do I take his innocence away or do I wait for the world to take it away from him? And I'm trying to find that proper moment to sit down and have these conversations with him. And the movie The Hate You Give, it came out and I was like, you know what, I want you to watch this movie. And he just broke down in tears like five minutes into the movie. He's like, I don't want to see any more black people dying. And that hit me really hard because I didn't think that he was paying attention, but he is. And The language of hate was taught to him by one of his friends that said something crazy to him. And all that comes from somebody else, which is a parent that teaches their kids that they're better or they're worse than somebody else. And I think it's up to us to spread the language of love and acceptance and making sure that we are perceived as everybody else. Like we're cool too. We can have fun too. Our kids will love you if you love them. Like I remember a situation when I was a kid a white kid came over to my house and he said he didn't have any toys. So I gave him a bunch of my toys. And uh, his mother came over and talked to my grandmother, who she was thoroughly surprised that my grandmother was this white woman. And she said, uh, I didn't know a black kid could be so kind. And I was like, wow. You know, as as a nine-year-old, I was like, excuse me, what? Yeah. And my grandmother was like, well, get the hell out of my house, right? Um, another thing is, and I think we've all dealt with this, is that I've been told, and I think I'm sure all of us have experienced this, like you're the good black friend, right? You're, mm-hmm. the good
0: you're not like the other ones.
1: And right. my, my, you know, I always tell people like, well, you need to meet more black people because there's so many black people that are just like me. We're all good ones, mm-hmm. you know? And we have to teach that. It's like, it's a language of love. And, yeah. you know, I'm not the good black friend because I'm just as mad as those cats out on the street that are protesting with their fists up and protesting for their lives. And I'm just as mad as them. So don't look at me as any different from them. I, I harbor the same passion as them. I'm not the good black one. We're all good black ones. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as we c- continue to project that energy, that'll help the future because look, some people are just too far gone, but we have to recognize our allies and those who do care and those who do want to learn. And I see too much on social media of, of cancel culture, like cancel this dude. Cause he said this, but I've seen a lot of guys that mean well, guys and girls that mean well, and just don't understand. So I think it's our job to kind of like bring them in. And it's like, well, look, Sit them down and have this conversation and say, look, man, this is this is how it should be. Like, I understand what you're trying to say with this all lives matters thing, but here's my perspective. And since you consider me one of the good black ones, I want to listen, I want you to listen to this good black perspective on this mm-hmm. and join me in this. And that way you can teach your kids not to kill my kids one day. Because I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. At the end of the day, like I don't want your kids killing my kids. And I want our kids to all love, love each other. And I don't want to see another cop standing on a man's neck. I don't wanna see another person getting beat down. And like, I wear this shirt that says, we march, y'all mad, we sit down, y'all mad, we stand up, y'all mad, we die, y'all silent. And people say, well, what is y'all? I was like, y'all is anybody who's not speaking up to these issues. Mm-hmm. Don't be silent. And when this protest dies down, cause it's gonna die down. Let's keep these conversations going. It doesn't have to be the same fervor that we're doing it with right now, but it's just minor conversation. It's just representation and how important it is and how much it matters. It's just, let's keep that energy going into our elections when it's time to vote. Learn what you're voting for. Learn who these judges are. And, and like I said, one day, I hope my daughter's a judge. I hope, I hope your kids are, are, are educators of some degree or police or whatever they can be so we can all take care of each other. But I think we just need to see more of us in the world. I think the rest of the world needs to see more of us as well, all loving each other.
0: One thing that you touched on, the idea of, you know, like you said, being, being the good black friend. E and I were talking about this the other day. Just the had the, came to the realization that throughout our entire lives, we we are either we're, we're, we're taught about how it's going to be, and we figure out the best way to get through that. And for a lot of us, that is making sure that people see us as non-threatening. So the work, the countless hours, we have to be on guard to make sure that. If there's someone around who might be nervous around us, we have to make sure that their fears are assuaged because if they're scared of us and they leave this interaction and we haven't presented a, a kind smile and a big hello, they'll pass us by and later still be scared of us. But if we do the work to smile and wave and make them feel better, then maybe they'll feel better later. But it's it's such an unfair thing to put on, on anyone. You have to make everyone else around you who might be nervous about how you act because they think that you are a certain way. You have to try to make them feel better, and um, it's. I, I know that a lot of people have have felt that way, and it's it's a it's a harsh realization to come to when you haven't really thought about it in those terms. You think, oh, you know, I just kind of I'm a happy, bubbly person, and it's like, well, why are you always overly bubbly? Why are you always overly yeah? most of the time because I am, but a lot of times it's because I want to make sure people know that I'm, that I'm not a threat. And it's like subconsciously deep in my mind. And I, and I hate that that is, that is something that I have to be conscious of. And I have to be, I have to perceive how people are around me. We have to, you have to be super in, in, uh, empathetic to others in order to know how to act around them. It's, there's, there's so many layers to it, you know? And And I feel like the people that don't understand what's going on, like that's, that's one of the things that's at the core. Is that yes, we can get a bunch of, of laws changed, and I hope that we do, and I hope that we we figure out how to you know use our our anger and rage and funnel that in attack at the at the voting booth, you know. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's it's <sighs> it's so much harder because things have to fundamentally change in people's minds across the world, you know? Um, and it's, it's just a heavy, it's just a heavy thing to, to put on anybody's shoulders. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll say
3: too, and I, I kind of mentioned it before, but you saying that people have to change across the world, honestly, uh, and we talked about this in text, um, this situation now is, is just hitting differently, than it has in the past. And I, I'm just, I feel like I just, I'm, I'm so, I have more hope now based on the actions of people that have approached me based on the action that I've seen on Twitter and people, you know, uh, on Instagram, just really, it feels like this could, this is the closest thing I've seen to being the beginning of that that change. So I, I think at the, for, for me, as far as like the light at the end of the tunnel, I don't know. I'm sure that this has ha- kind of happened before in some way, shape or form. And people have gotten on the same page. And then for whatever reason, it kind of dissipates and di- devolves back into the state that it was in. But I just really feel now, uh, again, like now more than ever, that that this is the start of of something, you know, and it's a, it's a shame that Things had to get this extreme. And I didn't even take that into consideration. You mentioned earlier about the fact that the world was forced to slow down because of the pandemic. If the world was going on the way that it normally has been, and, and we weren't having to shelter in home and we weren't having to be inside, and we weren't having to not be at work or, you know, not having we we had our sports available, we had things to do, would we have had the focus that we have now to be able to focus on this issue? So I don't know. Like I, I'm a I'm a big believer in everything happening happening for a reason, and not to say that you know God made this pandemic happen so that people could stop, so that you know police brutality could come down. But um, whatever the reason may be, coincidentally, I feel like people are people are are, are listening. You know what I'm saying? And and um, I don't know. It just feels like it's the start of something hopefully revolutionary, you know, and, and hopefully when our kids look back at this moment and they look back at these times, they'll say that, man, you you remember what happened the way that things used to be. It's almost like us looking back to like the 60s and granted things are, are not 100, they're, they're not 100% as, as good as they can be. There's a lot of work to be done for sure. But I don't know, you look back at, at the 60s and you think like that was an era of the way that things were when things were were, were very violent and et cetera. Hopefully when our kids look back at these times, they'll kind of have that feeling and, and it will be genuine and it will be a lasting effect and something that will be unconscionable to think about even regressing and going back to the way that things are now. So um, I don't know, I, I'm... I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, I just feel like this, the, the energy just feels different, you know, and I can't really, I can't really explain it. I just feel like instinctually and instinctively in my gut and my, my intuition, it just, this situation now just feels very, very different than anything that's, Happen at least that we've lived through uh, in, in our lives. So,
2: right. Right, man, I mean, I'm with Andres completely on um, continuing to have these conversations. Uh, I think we need to be honest with ourselves, and that extends to to me as well. Like, what what can we do? Um, are we lending our voice in a way that matters? Are we not just you know tweeting to pat ourselves on the back? But um, what will our activism? What will our voice look like in a month, in two months? Um, what will we continue to do? Uh, and also continuing to make sure that that we don't miss out on on filling these gaps like continuing to uh, to protest for Breonna Taylor until she gets justice and and just the the litany of, of people who have been slain by the police uh, unjustly continuing to fight for them continuing to do our part in whatever um, ways we can and and to make sure man let's take care of our black men our black women our black trans men and women who are being mm-hmm. killed um, who are often overlooked let's continue mm-hmm. to to look inside of ourselves to, to be honest with ourselves um, continue to to be empathetic as well uh, and once again, uh, I want to thank Andreas for uh, guiding me there's a lot I knew, and uh, he's really helped me see a certain perspective and, and kind of fill different gaps with with my understanding of the situation but i I, I really feel that these conversations are so important, man. To me, um, we wanted to have some fun with what we were gonna record before, but I struggled to find any, if this isn't important to us, if this doesn't move us, if this doesn't shake us to our very core, then to me, nothing else is important. Nothing else matters. If this, uh, but we talk about civil rights, but it's, it's. I forgot where I heard this or where I borrowed this from, but it's human rights. It's human rights, the same empathy that I would want for, for someone who looks like me, I, I hope, for for my female friends, for, for my gay and lesbian friends. I want to to have that same empathy. It's it's human rights. That's that's the conversation. And I hope we continue and I hope it's not uh short lived in, in this moment of anger and outrage that we continue to have these talks, that we continue to be empathetic and, and to continue to progress this movement.
1: I, I wanted to say one thing is that um I know you three have asked, you know, what do I do next? But I think what you're doing right now is so important because when has this conversation ever been had on this platform, this kind of a platform, you know, to an audience, like what you guys have done thus far to bring joy into so many people's lives. And then now we're taking a break to have these hard conversations that other people are just unwilling to have. You've already taken the first step. Like I appreciate you guys just giving me this platform to talk. Like I feel like this is kind of therapeutic, but I think there's going to be so many people at home listening that are going to be inspired just by knowing that the three of you are willing to have these conversations because there's so much fear in like marketing and branding and who am I going to offend by, by talking about black issues? The fact that you guys are doing this means the world to me. It really does. And I think there's so many people out there that are going to agree with that because, you know, we need it. We need this therapy. You know, if, if we're not going to get therapy, we need to have it with each other and we need to show that we love each other. And, and I love what you guys have done. And I love that you have pushed this conversation forward when some people would not dare do this 15, 20 years ago. But I dare take that opportunity. So if you're asking yourself what to do next, you're already doing it. And always remember, like, the Civil Rights Movement was not like this big national movement with millions of people. It was a small group of people that started these conversations. The marches were big, but the minds that started it, there was not too many of them. And you three just doing this, I mean, look, man, I'm not saying starting a revolution already, but damn it, we're, starting, we're getting it started at least moving the conversation forward to another audience.
0: Thanks, man.
2: Yeah. Thank you, man. I think, I think all three of y'all, man, this is like, like Andrea said, this has been yeah.
0: therapeutic. I needed yeah. this. I needed it. If no one else needed it, I needed it. I agree with you. I feel like, I mean, like we're already aware We're this is a very, like you said, many times, uncomfortable conversation to have. And I feel like I've been having it for like the past, <laughs> I don't know, forever. <laughs> uh, but definitely like the last 72 hours has been a lot of phone conversations two, three hours long going through this and talking about it again. And, and just just crying and uh, just like an overall legitimate exhaustion from from feeling all of this and uh, i think uh, andreas uh, you're 100% correct and i'm glad that you were here to be able to talk to us about all of this because i feel like my thoughts, I get completely scatterbrained in the middle of talking about this and I go a million different directions and I feel like I'm, I'm not eloquent and can't get the point across. So I'm, I'm glad that you three are here to be able to, you know, get those things across because it's, it's important that we have people that are able to do that, um, especially right now. So Andreas, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. We're- I know I was, I usually bristle at the, you know, a conversation
2: like this about dropping socials, but I do want, uh, Andreas has been doing some great work uh, on Twitter. So Andreas, uh, where can we find you?
1: You can find me at at Andreas Hale. I also host a a podcast with my good friend, Kel Dansby on Combat Sports, Pro Wrestling boxing, MMA called The Corner Podcast. Um, But yeah, everything's at Andreas Hale and you can find me rabble rousing talking about everything else (laughs) because that's just (laughs) what we do.
0: All right. Well, thank you for, for being on and everybody, make sure you check him out uh, wherever he is. You, you know, our socials and all that stuff. And if you want to interact or I don't know, conversations are going on, just try to stay safe out there and talk to your friends, talk to your families and uh, keep the conversation going.